Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here with you all this morning. It's always good to be in the hub. We are going to be in Romans chapter 5, and we are going to be in verses 12 through 21 this morning, if you all want to go ahead and turn there. Very thankful for Pastor Sam coming to read the passage earlier for us this morning. Well, my prayer for this morning is that we may grow in our thankfulness for the gift of Jesus. I know that many of us can personally remember gifts uh, that we have been offered that we may see as bad or uh, gifts that aren't as uh, valuable to us. And we may remember the reactions that we have tried to come up with. We may put on a, a fake smile or a sense of excitement. Our voices are a higher pitch normally when we get bad gifts than normal gifts. And then once we leave the room or once a few days go by, we usually put those gifts somewhere, either in our closet or under our bed, or just go ahead and just put it in a goodwill pile and just call it a day, right? And when it comes to gifts, the most important thing is to receive the gift for what it truly is. When I receive a pair of socks, though now that I'm an adult and I get pretty excited when I get a pair of wool socks for Christmas... I don't get as excited for that gift as perhaps if I receive a Ford Bronco for Christmas, right? Or when I get a nice pair of shoes, I get more excited about that as opposed to when I get a pair of uh, puppy pajama pants from a family member. And I get much less excited about that pair of pajama pants, especially when it's the exact same design of pajama pants that I got from the Christmas before, from the exact same family member as before. True story, by the way. But a gift is for us to receive. And there are certain degrees of thankfulness that we have depending on what that gift may mean to us. And so my prayer this morning is that as we consider the gift of Jesus, and that as we remember what we were before this gift that we may see this gift with the value that it truly holds and that we may receive this gift with thankfulness. And even if we have already received this gift before this morning, I pray that we may grow in cherishing that gift, treasuring that gift more than what we previously did. Well, the main point of the message this morning is simply this. Receive the gift of of Jesus, the second and better Adam. Receive the gift of Jesus, the second and better Adam. We'll have a few observations from the text, and then we'll jump into some applications uh, afterwards. But uh, up until this point, I want to give just kind of a summary of where we are in Romans. Uh, up until this point, Paul has been describing uh, the personal sin and guilt of humanity from Jew to Gentile stating that everyone is guilty of sin and also without excuse. And not only that, but Paul also says that there is nothing that humanity can possibly do uh, to be saved and be declared righteous before God on their own. There are no works that humanity can perform because our works actually make us guilty more than they will ever declare us not guilty. Uh, everyone is personally guilty for their own sin and are destined for eternal judgment from God. 
But as we read Romans, Paul doesn't stop there with the bad news. In fact, he continues on with providing hope for humanity, stating that the righteousness of God has been revealed, and it's been revealed apart from the Old Testament law, meaning that obedience to the Old Testament law is not where righteousness, it's not where freedom from judgment is found. And then he continues on in saying that the righteousness of God instead is through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to all who believe in him. And he clarifies in Romans 4 that any sort of righteousness that humanity could ever have possessed was never through any kind of works or through any kind of performance, but that it has always been by faith and trust in God and in the promises that he's made. And he references Abraham as the primary example of this. And he clarifies that Abraham was not declared righteous before God because of his actions, but that Abraham was justified because he believed and trusted in God and what he says. And his works were merely a sign or a seal of his justification. And then Paul says that truth also applies to us, to the rest of humanity. That humanity will be forgiven for their own sins and will be declared righteous, not by their own works, but by their faith in Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. Jesus took our own trespasses and he took our own sins and he took them to the cross and then he took them to the grave with him. And when he rose from the dead, it showed that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient payment for sins. And as you all may remember last week in Romans 5 verses 1 through 11, we see that as a result of this justification, we have peace with God through Jesus. This peace is not described as a subjective feeling that may come and go, but this peace is an objective truth that will never change for the Christian. That we have peace with God through Jesus because God's wrath is no longer over us. As we sung earlier, the wrath of God has been satisfied in Jesus. It's no longer guilt, it's no longer sin that is over us, but because of what Jesus has done, righteousness and peace are over us instead. And we rejoice in this hope that will ultimately be fulfilled on the day of Christ's return. And we also rejoice in present sufferings, not only because we have peace with God through all eternity, but because through the here and the now, God is using our sufferings and God is using our hardships in our lives to make us more faithful to him in this present life where he has put us. And we don't need to doubt God's love for us in our sufferings, and we don't need to doubt his love in our trials because we see on the cross that even when we were at our most sinful, even when we were at our most rebellious, God showed his love for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us. When we didn't know God, when we didn't want God, God still sent his son anyway. And we are reconciled to God because of what Jesus did for us. And then as we, begin, then as we get into the beginning of our text this morning, we see that Paul takes a bit of a turn. He takes a bit of a turn from discussing our own personal sin and our own personal guilt before God. And he takes a turn to talk about the deeper fundamental reason of sin's existence in the world and how exactly all became guilty of sin. Yes, we may know that all of humanity is guilty of sin, but how did this happen? What was the origin of this? Where did sin come from? And how is it that in Jesus, all are declared righteous in him? 
And that leads to our first observation of the text, and that is the trespass of the first Adam. The trespass of the first Adam. Paul starts with therefore, digging a deeper well in sort of the cause and the effect of sin. And so how is all of humanity guilty of sin? Well, he begins his answer starting in verse 12. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Let's take this verse just one piece at a time. Let's start with that first part of it. Sin came into the world through one man. As we will see later on, just kind of in this text, Paul is referring to Adam here, the first man who was ever created. Uh, Adam is not a mythological figure, but he is a historical person who truly lived. As seen in many passages of the Bible, including this one, but what we also see is specifically in Luke, where we see Jesus' genealogy being traced all the way back to Adam. And Paul says that through this one man, Adam, and through his sin in the Garden of Eden, that was when sin entered the world for the very first time. And this is important to know because it wasn't God that brought sin into the world, and it wasn't even Satan that brought it into the world. But what we see here, through Adam's choice, through Adam's trespass, he's the one that opened the door to sin. He let sin into the world to come through. And as Adam opened the door for sin, we also see that sin then opened the door for death to spread throughout the world and spread to all men and to all women. We observe this in Genesis as God tells Adam to not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil or you will surely die. This death that God spoke of in Genesis and the death that Paul's talking about here in this passage speaks here of both physical death, but also spiritual death. That when Adam took the fruit, they spiritually, he and Eve, spiritually died as they were separated from God. And their physical bodies, as a result, began to die and began to decay because of their sins. Where God says in Genesis 3, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so because sin spread to all humanity through Adam, so did death. And this death is spiritual, this death is eventually physical, and this death is ultimately eternal. But the last part of verse 12 is an interesting one. Paul ends verse 12 with saying, because all sinned. What exactly does that mean? It could mean one of two things. It could either mean that all sinned individually in themselves. That could be what he's talking about here. Or it means that all sinned through Adam's sin in the garden. And yes, Paul has consistently argued up until this point that all have sinned individually, not taking away any responsibility. But he is saying here that while we all have personally sinned, all have ultimately sinned in and through Adam. That when Adam sinned in the garden, all sinned in him. And we can see that this is what Paul is talking about in this passage. And this is where Paul is going throughout the passage. In verse 15, Paul states that many died through one man's trespass. And in verse 18, he says, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. 
And in verse 19, by the one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. And so then the question becomes, what exactly does that mean, that all have sinned in Adam? And what it means is, Adam was the federal head representative of the entire human race. And when he sinned, and when he became guilty of sin, his sin and his guilt became the rest of humanity's. It's not like we were somehow spiritually there in the garden. But when Adam was declared guilty of sin, because he represented all of humanity, his guilt was also given and credited to us. And to go deeper than that, it's not only that Adam was our our head representative, but as we're related to him, he is also our first biological father. And so when Adam sinned, it wasn't just that the guilt of his sin was given to us, but it was also his sinful nature that was given to us. And so basically, when Adam fell, so did we. When sin became Adam's nature, it then became our nature. And when he was guilty of sin, we became guilty of sin because of what he did in the garden. Adam's sin became ours because he represented all of us. And so right here, just the very first verse, we see really just how much deeper our sin really goes. Sin doesn't become something that we just pick up over time. It's not that we grew up and started neutral, and then all of a sudden we just picked up sinful habits and tendencies as we went along. Nor is sin something that we only inherit through our parents. But our sin and our guilt, they run all the way back to our very first father. And as we go on to verses 13 and 14, Paul says that Adam's sin runs so deep that even before the law was given, between Adam and Moses, death still reigned and death still spread because all of humanity was still under the guilt of Adam's sin. In verse 13, sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now this isn't saying that sin wasn't wrong and that people weren't guiltless back in the day. Romans 2.12, just a few chapters ago, Paul even says that those without the law will perish without the law. But because there were no explicit commandments broken in between Adam and Moses, sins weren't charged as sin because there was no law. We do see instances of judgment for God's moral law being broken, such as the flood, such as the Tower of Babel, such as Sodom and Gomorrah. We see examples of that. But what Paul ultimately here is saying is that sin was still present and death still reigned before the law because humanity was all ultimately guilty in Adam and in his sin. And that even though humanity's sin at that point was not like Adam's, which is what you guys read in verse 14, because Adam broke an explicit command from God. So even though humanity's sin up to that point wasn't like Adam's in that way, death was still present because everyone was and is guilty in Adam's sin. So because of Adam, with or without the law, sin has become our nature, guilty has become our verdict, 
and death has become our destination. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul even affirms this in the first half of it where he says, for as in Adam, all die. For the first three chapters of Romans, Paul talks about previously the hopelessness of humanity because of their own personal sin. But just reading these first three verses, 12 through 14, we see that guilt runs so much deeper than anything that we have personally done. That we're not just sinful and guilty from our own sin and our own actions. We're ultimately sinful and guilty, and it goes all the way back to Adam. That in Adam, sin entered the world and spread like a plague, infecting everyone in its sight, and there is not a single person other than Christ that has ever escaped the plague of sin. We may often think of sins as just actions or behaviors or mistakes that we do. But maybe we're hesitant to go deeper in saying that sin is in our very being. It's in our very nature. Or we might be even willing to acknowledge that we have sinful desires and thoughts from time to time. And some of us may even concede, yeah, it's probably more often than not that we have sinful desires and sinful tendencies. But the Bible gets incredibly more personal and it becomes more challenging to see that God's word acknowledges that sin is in every bit of our being because it entered into every bit of the first human being. And we might wonder, by the way, if that's even fair. We might wonder if that's fair that we were given Adam's sinful nature and we were given his guilt. Because we weren't in the garden. We didn't take the fruit. I didn't listen to a talking snake. I would have put these hands on a snake if it came up to me and started talking to me. I would have stepped on it with an iron boot. But how do we really know if we wouldn't have done the same? How do we really know? Adam was initially sinless and had as close a fellowship with God as any human being had up until that point. He didn't have a, a natural lean to rebel in the beginning. And yet, even with this closeness with God, even with his purity, Adam still chose to ignore God and to ignore his word. Do we really think we would have done the same? Do we really think that we would have said no to the serpent and have listened to him? Because of Adam, there isn't a single piece of us that isn't covered in sin. Breathing is something we don't think about. We just do it. It's the same with blinking. We just do it. We don't even think about it. And seeing how sin has spread from Adam all the way to us today, sin is so ingrained and has become so ingrained in our nature that it's like breathing and blinking to us. Our own sin runs deep. The sinful nature that we get from our parents runs deep. But it's so much deeper than that because of Adam. Sin has become second nature to us. We do it without even thinking about it. And as a result, as we see of this trespass of sin, we are ultimately dead. Because of sin, we are basically walking corpses, spiritually dead and physically dying. 
death is not a natural part of life. It was never part of God's good and natural design. Death is not supposed to be natural. And yet death came in not just to our physical bodies. Death came into our souls. And the New Testament often says that in our trespasses and in Adam's, we are not dying, but we are dead. It's not an ongoing process. It's done. Our souls, because of sin, are dead. And whenever the time comes, our bodies just follow suit. Because of our sins, but ultimately because of our father's sins and our representative sins. So before we continue any further, let's not underestimate or downplay the trespass of the first Adam. Let's not forget that through the trespass came sin to all and came death to all. Verse 15, many died. Verse 16, the trespass brought condemnation to all. Verse 17, death reigned to all. Through the trespass, verse 18, condemnation for all men. Verse 19, many were made sinners. The trespass of Adam it's not just significant. It's overwhelming. It's not just a downpour. It's, it's a flood. Let's not downplay the trespass and the consequences of it. But then at the end of verse 14, Paul provides a preview for the rest of his point. And that while he describes Adam as being the first head of all mankind, he then calls him a type of the one who was to come. Type here is described as a, a pattern or a, a model of similarity to something else that's being compared to it. And that while Adam was the first head and the first representative of humanity, Paul here is saying that another head and another representative for humanity was going to show up. And he says that while in Adam all were guilty and all were dead in his act of sin, he says that this representative to come was vastly different. And that is the second observation of our text. And that is the gift of the second Adam. The gift of the second Adam. As Paul describes the heavy consequences of the trespass of the first Adam, he then continues in verse 15 by saying, but the free gift is not like the trespass. The free gift is not like the trespass. That yes, Adam was a, a type of the one to come. And while there are similarities and that they are both seen as representatives of humanity, Paul's already saying here, the type doesn't even hold a candle to the one who was to come and who did come. And the one to come is a man named Jesus. And so how does Paul explain how the free gift of Jesus is not like the trespass of Adam? He says, for if many died through one man's trespasses, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. To clarify, the word many here is to be understood as all. So what he's saying here is, as all died through one man's trespasses, 
as all of humanity is guilty of sin and is spiritually dead because of Adam, as significant as this is, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of Jesus Christ abounded for all. That through death came to all, though death came to all, how much more has grace come to all? How much more has grace exceeded, excelled, overflowed to all because of what Jesus has done? So the gift of Jesus is different from the trespass of Adam, not just because of the result, but because the gift is far more powerful and far more superior than the trespass. Far more. Jesus dying on the cross did not cancel out sin. Jesus dying on the cross overpowered sin. It overpowered death. Jesus didn't just edge out sin. The final score wasn't 52 to 49 with a knuckleball field goal to end the game. As sin was a mighty flood that covered all of humanity, God's grace has overwhelmed that flood and it's not even close. And that as people are sinful in nature and guilty of sin in Adam, how much more are they forgiven in Jesus Christ, the second and the better Adam? Jesus as our representative head, in Jesus as our representative, we are more forgiven than we are guilty in Adam. And here's the crazy thing. That's just verse 15. That's just verse 15. Paul keeps going in verse 16 and providing another example of God's overwhelming grace in this gift. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So I want us to think about this for a second. This is kind of crazy math. It's like calculus, right? But it's a little bit more enjoyable, okay? Adam's one sin brought condemnation to all. But the gift of Jesus, even after many sins, brought grace to all. With Adam, one sin equals guilt for all. Just one. Sin is a really big deal to God. And a good and holy God can't even stand for one, not even a speck of sin. And because Adam is the first head, one of his sins condemned all of us. Sin is a very, very big deal. It's significant. But God's grace is so deep and it is so overwhelming that even after an insurmountable amount of sins that has taken place after that, God's grace justifies and forgives all of those trespasses. One sin brought the flood of death into the world. Imagine how much more, many more sins are. Imagine how much more disastrous it is with many more sins coming into the world. But the gift of Jesus is still more, more overwhelming than that. Paul is basically saying, we can't possibly understand how deep God's grace really goes. The flood of death is like a little Dixie cup of water compared to the abundance of God's grace. And that is the math that Paul is talking about here. And then he continues in verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, 
much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Death reigned through Adam, but life and righteousness reigns even more through Jesus, the better Adam. Notice here, though, and this is important as we're about to go into verses 18 and 19. Notice that while all have sinned and are guilty in Adam, it is only those who receive the gift of Jesus that will receive abundant grace and receive this abundant righteousness. Paul, throughout his writings, and you can read throughout the whole New Testament, they do not teach that everyone will be saved. But the Bible teaches that it is those who come to faith in Jesus Christ who will be saved and who will receive eternal life. And that while the power of the cross has the power to save all, it is those who receive and believe in Jesus that will ultimately be saved. But here's another truth to that. Because it's a gift, all you need to do is receive it. All you need to do is receive it. There's nothing more you can do, and there's nothing more you're asked to do to break the curse of Adam's sin, or your own. There are no works, there are no lofty prayers, there are no emotional moments that you have to have. The only action you are called to do to receive salvation is to believe and to receive Jesus and what he has done for you. You're not putting in the work, you're just receiving the work that Jesus has already done. It's a gift, and it's a gift that you could never earn. It's a gift given because of God's amazing and abundant grace. Verses 18 and 19. We see more clearly how Jesus is now the new representative of humanity to all who believe in him. Verse 18, as Adam's trespass led to condemnation for all, Jesus' act of righteousness on the cross led to justification and life for all who receive him. In Adam, we were all condemned, but in Jesus, the second Adam, we are all justified. As Adam's deliberate disobedience gave humanity the status and the guilt of sinners, Jesus' obedience gave all who receive him the status of righteousness. Adam's sin and the consequences were devastating and they were powerful as our head representative. But Jesus' act of righteousness and his obedience as the new representative for believers was even more powerful than that. He has completely changed the course of life for those who believe in him. Those who receive Jesus go from guilty to justified. They go from sinner to declared righteous. And above all, those who receive Jesus go from dead to alive. Those who receive Jesus are no longer spiritually dead, but they are alive. And we have gained so much more from Jesus than what we lost from Adam. And then to finish the chapter, Paul then brings in the law of Moses to describe its contribution to the conversation. 
He says that once the law came, because sin was already in the world, the law intensified our sin and intensified our rebellion. Our trespasses increased because of the law that was given. Because it, it put our sins into the spotlight and it exposed how even more guilty than we initially thought we were. Then Paul continues in saying, as guilt increase, as the trespass increase, grace abounds and overwhelms our sin and guilt even more. See how incredibly deep God's grace for you really goes. So much so that even as sin and death reigned, righteousness and life reigns abundantly more in Jesus. And this righteousness leads to eternal life for those who receive him. What an incredible passage for us to be reminded of. That while sin was greater than we could ever thought, the righteousness and the grace of God was so much greater in that. And that not only we're forgiven, not only that we are righteous, but in Jesus, we are raised from the dead with him. We are no longer dead, but we have been given life. A few applications to close. The first point is, don't forget your family line. Don't forget your family line. There's an old saying that I'm sure a lot of people still say, but uh, it says, don't forget where you came from. And that's usually meant in a positive way, right? Don't forget where you grew up. Don't forget your amazing family. Don't let any kind of success or accomplishment you have change who you are or the values that you grew up with. Stay humble. Keep everything in perspective. And in this case, kind of in a negative way, it's important for us to remember where we came from in Adam so that we can remember really just how guilty and hopeless we really were in him. We're sinners, not just from our own personal sin, but we are sinners because of all the way back to the first human being who ever lived. Our sin runs deeper than what we initially thought of, but we are completely and totally guilty of sin because how it dwells in our very nature. We do it instinctively, and the consequences of it are death. And so in Adam, in sin, we are dead. We're not just messed up sinners. We are dead in Adam. So let's not forget where we came from in Adam so that we may be reminded of how deep our sin goes. But it's also important that we don't forget so that we might see the grace of Jesus and be able to appreciate it even more than what we initially did. And so the second point is receive the gift of Jesus with thankfulness. Receive the gift of Jesus with thankfulness. John Piper once said that we will understand and cherish the justifying work of Jesus better if we see it alongside the work of Adam. That if we compare these two, we will understand how much better and how much more amazing Jesus is by comparing it to how devastating Adam's act of disobedience was. This is the redeeming part of remembering the guilt of our own sin in Adam. It's so that we might see just how amazing and just how superior and just how more powerful the work of Jesus is. 
in that in receiving Jesus, you are more forgiven, you are more justified, and you are more alive than you were guilty and that you were dead in Adam. The gift isn't like the trespass. It's far better. And all you're called to do is receive it. All you are called to do is to receive Jesus. And as you see how great God's grace is compared to who you were in Adam, you can't help but receive Jesus with thankfulness. It should ooze out of us. The gift of Jesus is not something to be put on the shelf, and it's not something that should be put in our closet for us to be, forget about. Because if you truly understand how precious and how amazing God's grace really is, you can't help but be thankful. And you can't help but receive Jesus with joy. Do not see Jesus like that pair of pajama pants that you received from your grandmother two Christmases in a row. See Jesus for who he is as your justifier, as your representative, as your Lord, and also as your life giver and your life saver. And if you already have, let this passage increase in your thankfulness. Reflect on this and grow in thankfulness. And the final point is, don't forget your family line. In Adam, you were guilty, you were condemned, you were a sinner, and you were dead. But if you have received Jesus, that is not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. In Jesus, as your representative and as your Savior, you are forgiven, you are justified, and you are above all alive. Not just different, not just slightly better. You are alive. You are brand new in Jesus. You are a new creation. Don't forget what Jesus has done for you. And don't forget that you belong to him. And let this identity that you have been given shape the rest of your life and how you live. God has raised you from death to life just as Jesus rose from the dead. Let this truth spill into the rest of your life. Let this spill into your worship. Let this spill into how you view your time with God, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity to dwell with your deeply gracious heavenly Father. Let it spill into your interactions with everyone you're around. As you are deeply loved by God, let that deep love overflow into your relationships and your friendships. Share this deep love of God with an unbelieving friend of yours so that they may receive this gift. This is the gift that keeps on giving. So let us continue to share the gift of Jesus with the world. And here's another thing. Let this new identity spill into how you confront the sins of your life. It may be tempting to think that the sin that you are living in right now is something that you will never overcome. Or you may think that the sin that you have picked up from your parents or the sin that you have picked up from your family is something that's too deep for you to be uprooted, for it to be uprooted. Christian, you are no longer dead, but you are alive. Jesus died for your sins, and God's forgiveness has flooded and wiped away your guilt. And so as God has made you alive, 
he is also working in you as a new creation and as his workmanship. God's changing you still. As you are alive, he is still working in you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the ultimate foundation, not just of salvation. Jesus is the ultimate foundation for change. And while there may be strategies to put in place, you are simply called to still live in faith in him and to continue to live in repentance. The Christian life is not a one of perfection. It's a one of constant repentance and turning away from your sins and turning yourself to him. And Christian, if Jesus has broken the curse and the guilt of your first father, Adam, he has broken the curse and the guilt of the sins of your close family. You are no longer a slave to those sins anymore. You no longer have to live in those. You're not trapped in those anymore. If Jesus broke the curse of your first father, he can break the curse of the sin that you have picked up from family members. You are no longer a slave to those sins anymore. You are alive in Jesus. Let him continue to change the course of your life and change the course of where your family goes because you belong to a new family now in Jesus. You belong to a new humanity because of Jesus and who he is. And so wherever you may be this morning, I pray that we all remember and live out the truth that God's message is that God's mercy is so much deeper than our sins. It's so much deeper. God's eternal life that he offers is so much more powerful than the death that you are in. And I pray that if you have not received Jesus this morning, that you will, and that you will with thankfulness because of what he's done for you. And I pray that for all of us who have received it, I pray that we continue to grow in thankfulness and that we continue to respond in worship. And speaking of which, the worship team is going to come back up. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful that your mercy is more. We were so deep in our own sins, And as we read and as we understood this morning, we were deep in our father's sins. We inherited a sinful nature and we inherited his guilt. And there was nothing that we could have done. The sin and the curse that we were under was so overwhelming. Like a flood. But the gift is not like the trespass. The death that we had in Adam doesn't even hold a candle to the life that is in the second Adam. I pray, Father, that we not just understand it mentally, but it just comes into our hearts this morning of of understanding how deep your grace really goes. And we are so thankful, Lord, that even at our worst even at our deepest and darkest personally, and even at our deepest and darkest in Adam, ultimately, your grace was always more. Your grace abounds. Your grace exceeds. And it all is through 
the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and was raised up in life so that we may be raised with him in life. I pray, God, for all of us this morning that those who have not received you may receive you. And Lord, that they may understand that they are no longer dead in Adam, but they are alive in your son, Jesus Christ, if they have received him. And I pray, Lord, for those who have already received this gift, that we may continue to live in thankfulness for this, to live in thankfulness for your son, Jesus, and to live for him, to trust in him with our lives, and to let that spill into the rest of our lives, Lord. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.